welcome to the Pathway Podcast. My name is Sam Speck, and I am the pastor at Pathway Community Church here in Elmhurst, Illinois. I just wanted to welcome you to today's sermon, and my sincere prayer is that this sermon is a blessing and an encouragement to you today, and will be uplifting for your faith and for your walk with Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoy, and please don't hesitate to let us know if there's any way that we can be of service to you. Thank you very much. Enjoy the podcast. We're in John 17 this morning. John 17, if you would like to turn there, you're welcome to. Um, Working our way through the book of John, and we find ourselves in John chapter 17 this morning, and this is uh, a a great passage. I'm super excited to, to share with you what God's laid on my heart this morning. But if you saw a couple of weeks ago, if, if some of you were here a few weeks ago, you may have seen that we had uh, Holland's grandmothers in town. They came up all the way from Birmingham, Alabama to come see the church, see our house, see all these things. And, and one of them's in her early 90s and one of them's in her late 80s. So we didn't know if, if they would ever, you know, if they'd get to see our house up here or get to see the church or things like that. And and yet they, they got a flight and they came up with Holland's parents and they made the trip. And it was a beautiful thing. It was, it was an awesome experience to get to have them here um, and just get to enjoy them being around and getting to see all these things. They were so encouraged by you all and just being in the church. And there was uh, a moment, there was a funny moment, a few funny moments, but this is one that stuck out is, is after dinner one night, we were all sitting around the table just talking and chatting and, and ha- Holland's grandmother, Carolyn, looks over to Wayne and myself, and, uh, which is Holland's dad, and she goes, I don't think in her, in her very nice, deep southern accent, she goes, I don't think this is a text message I should open, is it? And she shows us this text message, and praise the Lord for her. She's, she's 92, and she's looking out for scams, okay? So there's, there, is, there is some hope there. That's good, because there, there may be some grandmothers who may not be on the lookout. Um, and it's this text, and, you know, it does look kind of funny, and it's really long, and, and it's got, you know, links in it, and we were like, what is this? And we find out it's not, not really a scam. It's not someone trying to steal her information, but it is a text from Nikki Haley uh, somehow being involved in the, you know, Republican Party, or somehow as she is, she had gotten on one of the political text messages, so now she's getting texts from Nikki Haley, um, and so there's, there's like this long message, of, you know, that sounds like, is written like, and you've probably seen these things before, right? Whether it's from a politician or whether it's from a company, they now use this new marketing thing, which is like, let me write this text message or this email to make it look like it's from me, right? I, I don't think Nikki Haley's up at 9.30 p.m. texting Grandmother Carolyn, right? She, but she has a team that puts together these messages that sends these things out, and it makes it seem like... Oh, I, 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 you know, I value you. I appreciate you. I support you. And I'm not, I'm not here to knock any of those things. I'm just saying that's that's a tool. That's a tactic that's used. I, I received something similar this week. I got an email from a pastor at a big church in this area that was inviting me to come to his conference at his church. And it was, I mean, he pastors a big church. He has no idea who I am, right? He is, no, but but he writes it like, Sam, hope to see you at this conference. It will really be beneficial to you. And I'm like, okay, like, cool. You know, like, once again, I'm not knocking him. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying this is a tool and a thing that is used. And it's used to make people feel like 
They are important and needed and wanted, which is something that people crave. It's something that people desire. And yet, oftentimes, that marketing tool works because people want that, they desire that, they, they're craving and looking for that. And yet, the people that are offering it, the, the politicians, the, the companies, the things that people are offering, they're never actually going to fill that need. They're never going to meet that. It's never going to meet that need. And yet I was blown away this week reading through John 17 and realizing that the God of the universe cares enough about me and about you. This is not just some, there's not just words. It's not just a marketing ploy. It's not just a something to get your attention. The God of the universe cares enough about you and about me that he is always ready, willing, and available to hear from us. To listen when we call to him, to listen when we pray, to listen when we cry out to him. And the mind-blowing part is not even that. He cares about us so much. I don't know if you realize this, but you will this morning. Do you realize? We've been going through this entire book of John, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. This is the last chapter before he is about to be arrested and go and die on that cross for our sin. And the last thing that John records Jesus doing before he goes to the cross to die for us, the last thing he records him doing is praying for us. Jesus stops and spends time to pray for us. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, that should sink in. I don't care how powerful the politician, how powerful the celebrity, how powerful any of the people that you run into in your life, none of them match up with the God of the universe and how much he cares about you for you. God cares for us. Man. And so I want to look at this passage together because I think we have some things that we can learn about our own prayer life, about how we pray from the way that Jesus took time to pray for his followers and for us. So the idea for today that I want to communicate is following difficult promises, which was just in the last chapter. Jesus, we talked about this last week, Jesus gave some difficult promises for his disciples. So following that, Jesus prays for his followers. Following difficult promises, Jesus prays for his followers. So this passage today, it may have this title. Some of your uh, Bibles probably include little like chapter titles or summary titles in different spaces that tell you kind of what the chapter or the section is about, right? Uh, many of yours may have this title in the Bible, The High Priestly Prayer is what this chapter is called, at least in my Bible. What does that mean? We need to make sure we understand that because Jesus, in this passage, he never calls himself the high priest. He never says anything. There's no mention of the word high priest anywhere in this passage. So why did the people who put together our Bibles seek to call this the high priestly prayer? Well, the high priest was a very important man, obviously, in the Jewish tradition at the time. The high priest 
The first one was installed all the way back in Moses' time. After the people were freed from Egypt, his family member Aaron became the first ever high priest of Israel. Aaron was the first ever high priest, and he was charged, the charge that he was given was to take care of and monitor the faith, the attentiveness to God of the people. He was in charge of the people's walk with Jesus. He would do the sacrifices along with other priests. He would atone for the sins of the people with sacrifice. He would pray for the people. He was in charge of of kind of the spiritual well-being of the people. And on top of that, more than any other priest, once a year he was allowed to enter into the most holy place into the tabernacle and encounter God. So he had a big responsibility. And the high priest then passed down from Aaron all the way down to the ones at the time where we're at with Jesus. It's Caiaphas at this point in Jesus' ministry is the name of the high priest at the time. But over that time, there was both, like we see throughout Scripture all the time, with the people that follow Jesus, we had a mix of both. We have some good high priests who, who did what they were supposed to do, and we had some bad ones who didn't quite follow what God had laid out for them to do. But here, it takes time to mention that Jesus is the high priest. And in other places, in the book of Hebrews, it spends a lot of time, whole chapters actually, dedicated to describing why Jesus is the high priest. And not just the high priest, the great high priest. It's because after Jesus shows up, there is no other high priest that is needed for the people of Israel after Jesus. Because just as much as the people, the high priests at the time, were charged with offering sacrifices for the people to atone for their sins, offering prayer, offering intercession for the people between God and man, once Jesus shows up, he makes one sacrifice for all. He goes to the cross and dies for the sins of the whole world once and for all. There's no more sacrifice needed. And there's no longer a need, even though the Jewish people will keep putting people in the position of high priest, there's no longer a need for a high priest any longer. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, anyone who believes in the name of Jesus has access to God the Father through the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in their life. That's been true from the time that Jesus died on the cross till us sitting here today. The pastor is not supposed to be, I'm never, my role is, and I've never been intended to be a high priest for you, okay? You don't come to me and say, Sam, I'm having problems with my marriage, I'm having problems with thy kids. Would you go to God, offer a sacrifice for me, and then pray for me so that these things could get better. If any of you shows up here with a sheep telling me to sacrifice it, okay? I promise you, (laughs) that's going right back with you, okay? That's not my role. That's not, it's not, I'm not supposed to be, and, and pastors, priests, people have fallen into this trap before of being like, I'm the one that speaks for God to the, you all, as followers of Jesus Christ, have the same access to God as I do, as any pastor, teacher, 
Billy Graham, anybody ever did. You have the same access to God. You are able and willing and to go into his presence, sit at his feet, talk to him, spend time with him at any point in your life that you want to. But yet, what I found about myself and maybe what some of you may admit or see in your own lives as, as something that's true is that so often I don't. So often I don't take advantage of what's available to me when getting to spend time with God. It was just perfect timing that this quote popped up this re week in my reading. I was reading uh, a blog by a man named T.W. Suffield, and he said this about prayer. Prayer should stupefy us. You mean that this all-powerful God who keeps galaxies spinning is interested in you telling him about your day and might even alter the course of the entire cosmos because you asked him if you could have a parking space. Yes. So throughout the day, as I speak with my best friend, the almighty ancient of days, who speaks and the earth melts, he might choose to change the entire course of history because he loves me and wants to meet my needs and discipline me towards good if that's true, why don't I pray more? Man, that just hit a chord in my heart this week, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta tell that to the church. Because when the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, it knows what prayer does. God understands why he asks us to pray without ceasing, because that prayer is our communion with God, our 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 access to him, our fellowship with him. And he is able, he controls the entire world. He is able to change things and move things and have things change and move at his whim. The mountains say jump, they do it. And yet, we can't even take the time to go to him throughout the course of my day to talk with him, to thank him, to tell him what's going on. Prayer is that powerful and that important. And it was granted access to us by the great high priest who covered all of our sin, who met all the needs for sacrifice so that we could go before God. There's this other quote by Mary B. McFarlane that talked about the great high priest. It says, he is able to sufficiently fulfill the duties of representing the people and also serving as the mediator between God and humanity. In contrast with the high priests of the past, he does not need to offer sacrifices repeatedly because his one sacrifice of himself is sufficient for the atonement of sin. That's our Jesus. In Hebrews 9.12, it says, He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.12. And Jesus continues to do that, church. Do you know that, that when he ascended back into heaven, it says his role now is he sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes on our behalf. He goes for us on behalf of God the Father. I, I, I think about that, that silly example that we just read when we need a parking space. I think about Jesus sitting up there, sitting next to be like, yeah, 
Sam really needs this parking space today. Maybe just open something up, you know, something close where he can get to. He's interceding for us on our behalf in the silly things and the big things, in the things that we think don't matter and in the things that do. We can go before God the Father and we get to have that prayer time, that, that, that attention with him because Jesus died for us and because he's still interceding for us. And so now we see what, what can we learn together from John chapter 17 about the prayer life of Jesus? What can that teach us about our own prayer lives? If we look at the first five verses of John 17, we see that what Jesus' focus on, what his focus of this prayer, the first one is on the glory of God. It says in the first five verses, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh and give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Jesus spends the first part of his prayer, his high priestly prayer, focusing on the glory of God. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us. If you look back earlier in Jesus' ministry, he, the disciples, came to him and they asked him, Teacher, teach us to pray. And the first line of his prayer, when he's teaching them how to pray, he says, when you pray, pray in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first line of the prayer that he taught to the disciples was focusing on praising the name of God. When I come before God, as Sam Speck, do I come with the mentality of, okay, God, here's all the things I need to tell you. Here's all the things that happened to me today that I need you to fix or I need you to do for me or I need you to help me with. Or do I come with just the attitude of, oh, Lord, God, you are so awesome. If you have done nothing, if you do nothing else for me in my entire life, you would have still have done more than I ever deserved. Can I just give you the glory for who you are and what you've done and what I know you're going to continue to do? That's what Jesus is focusing on. He says that this glory, is, he says the hour has come in verse one. That basically means, look, the hour has come, the time has come for me to be crucified. And so he says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. He asks the Father, that he would give him the glory, the strength, the ability to do what he's about to do on the cross so that he can give that glory right back to God and glorify his name. He's been doing that. In the, he's been doing that throughout his entire ministry. In verse 4, it says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. His whole ministry has been about accomplishing the work that God sent him to do and then giving glory back to God for doing it. God is receiving the glory through Jesus. And he's asking for both the future and past glory to be restored. In verse 5, he says, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Jesus is the very glory of God because he is God. And he's saying, I'm about to receive that again. Throughout his time on the earth, the only reason, he never gave up his glory, church, 
The only reason that the people living didn't get to see it is because he veiled it from them. He hid it from them as Moses had to veil his face when he saw God. There was only three people who ever truly saw the glory of Jesus when he was on this earth. And that was the three disciples who were closest to him when he transformed, when he showed them on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is what I truly am like. This is who I truly am. And that glory that he's had from the beginning of time till now is about to be restored. Jesus is about to do his work. It's about the glory of God. And we know that we are commanded to live lives that bring glory to God. Our lives should show God's glory. And Jesus shows us right here how he brought glory to God. He said, I glorified you here on earth by accomplishing the work you gave me to do. Church, you want to know how to live a life that glorifies God? Live an obedient life. That is what glorifies God. Live in obedience to his word and the commands that he has given you, and that brings glory to God. It's that simple. You say to yourself, God, all the time you pray, God, let me glorify you. Let me live a life that glorifies you. Let me live a life so people can see me through you. Do you live obediently then? Because if you are living in obedience to his word, then your life will show the glory of God. It's that simple. And so he focuses on the glory of God, and then, after that, he takes time to pray for his friends. Takes time to pray for his friends. And once again, it makes sense. Jesus is making sense in the way that he prays. It makes sense that he takes time to pray for his friends. This is also the longest section of the prayer. And just look at your own prayer life. Who do you spend the most time praying for? The people closest to you, right? You pray for your kids. You pray for your siblings. You pray for your parents. You pray for your family because those are the people that are closest to you and closest to your heart. Well, these are the men that are closest to the heart of Jesus. And so he wants to pray for them. And he takes verses 6 through 19 to do that, to do so. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. Jesus says these men are the ones who have believed, who have followed him. They they know the truth. They know the truth of who Jesus is. And so they're ready now. They're ready for the difficult things to come. They're ready for the things that are going to follow after Jesus has to go back up into heaven. They're ready for these things. But he knows that they're not going to be easy, so he's going to take the time to pray for them and to pray specifically for them. In verse 11, he says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That's his first prayer for his friends. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. I want to talk about that 
I want to talk about this prayer request a little bit more, but I want to build suspense a little bit because this prayer is going to come back up again just in a few verses. So we're going to come back to this because this is important, but it's not time yet. And then he continues on after that. He's saying, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Basically, he's saying, look, Father, I've done my best to keep them safe, to keep them guarded, but I'm not going to be here any longer. I've only lost one, the son of destruction, which is Judas, who chose to betray Jesus. He said, all of them have, have continued. They've continued in your word. They've continued to believe. It says in verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We learned about this last week, right? That the world is going, that's the, that's the difficult promise. The world is going to hate us. They're not going to like the things of God. They're going to be upset with them. But his prayer echoing off of that in verse 15 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He said, to his, for his disciples for this prayer. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, right? He has a job for them just like he has a job for us. We're not, we don't get to just build an echo chamber where everything's easy. That's why we don't just get to, to live in the church all the time, right? Everybody likes us here. Everything's, everything's good here. Everyone likes each other. Everyone believes the same thing. Everybody wants the same thing. But we don't just get to stay here, right? You don't just get to stay in that safe place although the world is trying more and more to build that type of culture where you only surround yourself with people who say the things that you like, who say the things that you agree with, and everybody else is not allowed in. That's not the case. We are not of the world, which means we don't live like the world lives, but we are in it. We're in it and we're a part of it because we are called to be lights for Jesus in the world. The disciples are going to learn that very shortly more than anybody they are going to be persecuted. They are going to be hated. They are going to be pushed back against, but they are going to be lights in the world. They are going to be light for Jesus. And he says, I don't ask that you take them out of it. Just protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the snares of the enemy. In the same way, Jesus knows Satan does not win. The enemy does not win. Sin does not win. But he can sure make a mess of things while he's here. He can sure stir things up. And we do. We ask the same thing. We pray just as Jesus prayed for protection. We pray for protection all the time. When I was growing up as a kid, I don't know, maybe some of your parents or, or maybe you did this with your kids. Whenever we started, we used to travel by car all the time because we had to go to different churches to, as missionaries to talk to them, to, to speak there. And so we travel on, in the car all the time. And every time before we started a trip, Guess what my parents did? They stopped and they asked and they prayed for protection over our trip, that God would protect us and he'd watch over us as we travel, as we go to these different places. We pray for protection for our kids, for our families all the time. Jesus is doing the same thing. He says, look, just as you know, you can't keep your kids from every single hard thing that's going to happen to them, right? I just sent my first son to kindergarten for the first time. It's I feel like it's just as scary for the parents as it is. Actually, he's not scared at all. He doesn't even know. He's, he loves it, right? But you're thinking, oh, Lord, just 
protect them from this. Don't let this happen to them. Keep them safe. You know, don't let them fall off the monkey bars. Don't let them do, you know, whatever. We can't protect, you know you can't protect your kids, your family from everything. Because this world is broken. There is sin here. But we can beseech on behalf of our Heavenly Father and, and, and say, Lord, protect them, please. I can't be with them all the time, but would you be with them? Would you draw near to them? Because the evil one is real. Sin is real. And we need your protection, Lord, please. And then he asks for something very different than protection. His last request for them in verse 17 says, Sanctify them in your truth, for your word is truth. Sanctify them in your truth, because your word is truth. Sanctify, that word sanctify there is, is just short for sanctification, which is a word that means becoming more like Jesus. So he asks that the disciples, they wouldn't be taken out of the world, but there would be protection. And that more than that, they would be sanctified by truth, that they would know truth, know what the truth is, and that truth would then transform them to become more like Jesus. It's a hard prayer to pray. I can tell you there are times that I pray for my own kids and I, I, the Lord almost pricks my heart to realize, do you understand what you're asking for? Do you understand what it means when you pray that, Lord, I pray that you would make my kids more like you, more like Jesus? Because sometimes sanctification hurts. Becoming more like Jesus is not always easy. Because just like we talked about a few weeks ago, when we're the branches attached to the vine, sometimes the vine dresser comes along and he has to cut things away that do not belong there. So when you pray and you ask, God, make me more like you or make my kids more like you, sanctify them, we have to understand what it is that we're asking for. And sometimes that means we're asking for difficult things. It means we're even inviting difficult things into the lives of our own lives and the lives of the people we love. But yet, the fact that our lives look like Jesus is the most important thing. It's more important than if we're healthy or if we're wealthy. We want to become more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the heart of what Jesus asked for us is that you would sanctify them in your truth, continue to grow them and shape them into little Christ, into the men of God that they were created to be. Sanctify them in your truth. And then he goes on and he, the last focus of his prayer is for his church. It's for us. Look at verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, so not just for the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. We just got the word 2,000 years after it started being preached. And this is his first request for them, the same as his first request for the disciples, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus asks 
His first request for both the disciples and for us is the same thing, that they may be one as you and I are one. The same prayer that Jesus prays for two groups of people is that they are united, that they are built in the bond of unity around the gospel. That we are united around the gospel. There's a spiritual unity that happens in each and every one of our lives, right? When we come to know Jesus, we are united because the Holy Spirit comes in, he lives inside of us, and that unites us with Jesus and the Father. We get to be united with them because of the salvation of Jesus Christ. And on top of that, he's saying that unifying power is so powerful that that should unite all of us as believers together. You know how I know this unification power works? Do you ever run into, whether at work or at an event, at a function, at, at a party, do you ever run into somebody else and you hear that they either, you know, they go to church somewhere or they, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian or I know Jesus, and you immediately feel a connection with them? You don't know them. They may be totally different people from you. They may be 50 years older from, than you, but you immediately know there's, there's something here that bonds us, that connects us, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Even as Holland and I were going through this new school experience, we're meeting all these parents on the playground and then the line and all these different things. This is crazy. Okay, I don't, I've told a few people this story, but this is just this is crazy to me. This is what like blows my mind about God and, and just the way that he works. So Sawyer, a little boy, like two weeks into school, I'm waiting outside to pick him up from school on a Monday, which is my day off, and he runs outside, and he's playing with this other little boy whose name is Peter. And they, you know, he's like, this is my friend. This is my friend Peter. I was like, oh, okay, nice to meet you, Peter. And Peter's dad is there too. And so I get to know Peter's dad, and, and, and Peter's dad's like, yeah, Peter's been like, asking me already for like a play date and things like that. I'm like, oh yeah, that would be fun. That'd be cool. And you know, there's, there's certain parents that are like, hey, we should get together for a play date. And you just know like, yeah, I'll probably never hear from that person, you know? And this is fine. This is fine. It's not a big deal. And there's others that are like, okay, we're like getting together. Well, this Peter's dad was like, we're getting together. He's like, how about next week? I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. He's like, well, you know, just like set the time. Boom, 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 boom. We'll meet here. We'll have Costco pizza. We'll do, I was like, okay, right. We're there. So sets all these things. We get there, and Peter and Sawyer, and, and there's other little kids. He has other kids, and they're all playing together, and, and we just get talking, and, and he goes, we just get, you know, you get talking like adults do, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, I told him, oh, yeah, we just, you know, we moved here a few months ago. You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor in Elmhurst, and he's like, oh, wow, really cool, man. I was like, oh, that's great. He was like, I was like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I'm a pastor too. Like, oh, okay, like, it's like, I think our boys like smelled it on each other. It's like, that's another pastor's kid right there. Like that kid over there, like he, he knows what's up. He knows what it's like to be dragged to church on a Sunday morning. That kid right there, we're going to be friends. Like what, what are the chances, right? Like what, what are the odds that the first kid my kid makes friends with is his dad is a pastor as well at Lombard Bible Church in Lombard. Like it's just crazy. And that's, and that's also just the grace of God and the cool, but immediately, not just because he was another pastor, but we also met another couple that they, they go to, you know, they go to a, a church in Lombard as well, and, and immediately, you're just, 
if there's an ease of talking to them. There's an ease because we know there's something bigger than just whether I like football or whether, you know, we, we both, you know, like to play golf or whether there's, there's something bigger than just the surface level attractions of the world. It's that we both know Jesus and there is a unity that immediately bonds us together. And Jesus is praying that they would lean into that unity of the church, that they would lean into those things. I just... And this is so beautiful because God is uniting these things in such a cool and awesome way because I just prayed this week with, with other pastors in Elmhurst. We get together once a month, and I had just read through this passage, and I'm like, God, I think we need to be doing something just outside of our churches, all churches together, collectively, united, maybe you know, one church together, one big thing. And all of them get together, and, and the cool thing is, is they're immediately talking. is like, hey, now that we've started up this pastor's prayer group, we should do something where we all collectively come together as one church. And I'm like, God, that's so cool. Because we are so much bigger, and we're so much better when we're not just focused on the people sitting in this room, but we're focused on the church as a whole, as Pathway and, 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 and West Suburban and Grace and the Christian Reformed Church, and uh, City View, and Lombard Bible Church, and all, when we are the church together. You know what Jesus says, why we need to be united? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Because when we're united together in the gospel, people look at what's happening in the church, and they say, that can only be from God. That's got to be divine. There's something special going on there. When we are the church together, united with one another underneath the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man. We start that, though. We start that right here in this building, in each and every one of us. This is our family in here. This is our local church family. If we're going to be united in the gospel, then we need to be united here. You know what's the hard part about church? You know why Jesus prayed for these things, I think? As I was just talking, and, and this is so common. I'm not, I'm not saying our church is above this or this can't happen here because it can. I'm talking to a pastor friend, and he's telling me, yeah, I've got this, I've got this new youth pastor, and he is having the hardest time getting the people of the church to trust him. He's not like the last guy. And so they're, they're pushing back against him. And he's not a bad guy, and he's not doing anything wrong, but the people just aren't, there's certain people that just don't like him just because he's not the last guy. And I think, how sad is that? That the church, we allow silly things, petty differences to divide us right here in this building because we don't like somebody or somebody didn't do something the way we wanted it done or they didn't sing the songs we wanted or they didn't, they didn't have the event we wanted or they didn't, prepare our food, whatever. Why do we allow? That's exactly what the enemy wants. That's why Jesus prayed for his disciples and he prayed for the church, those things first, because he knows when we're united together, we are so much stronger. Church, I challenge you, if there's anybody, I'm not calling anybody out, I don't know, I'm not speaking anything specific, but if you are out there and there is somebody, it starts here, if there is somebody, if you call this church home, and there is somebody that you feel division with, that you feel like you just, you don't get along, you don't like, or you've had a fight about something, or upset about something, 
fall on your knees before the Lord and ask him to give you the grace to say, that doesn't matter. What matters is the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's more important, the unity of the church body for the sake of each other and for the sake of a world that is dying and going to hell, and we are the ones charged giving them that message. Can we please be united in the gospel together and not allow petty things to divide us? I've seen churches divide, heard of churches dividing because they switched from pews to chairs, because they stopped singing hymns, because they whatever, because they didn't have an Awana program, because they didn't do all of these things. Those things don't matter. What matters is, is your church preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? And do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what unites you. That's what unites us together. We are so much bigger than anything that divides us. We are united in the gospel. Sorry, I got a little fired up there. Um, tired. <laughs> There's a, things we can do with this this week as we leave this church this morning. Practical things as we walk away from our passage where Jesus spent time praying for us. If there's a prayer for us to pray, I'm praying for the unity of this church and our churches at large. We can reach Elmhurst. We can reach Villa Park. We can reach Lombard if we are united in the gospel. Praying for unity here and for our churches at large and, and, and for the belief of the world that those who are dying without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ would come to know him as their Lord and Savior. If there's an action to take, church, I challenge you this week, spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. You know what I was challenged with my prayer life this week? That, that article that I read you the quote from, um, from T.W. Suffield, he said one of the things that stops us from praying is pragmatism. We don't pray for God to do big things because we just, we, all we do is the safe things. All we do is the things we know we can do, not the things that God can do. That like, I said, God, I am a pragmatic prayer. <laughs> I pray just over, sometimes I don't ask for things because there's part of me that doesn't believe or doesn't want to be disappointed when you say no or doesn't, want, doesn't believe these things can actually happen. I was challenged, I'm going to spend time in less pragmatic prayer. Just pray big and see what God does. If Jesus saw the value in prayer, doesn't that mean we should as well? We should see the value in it as well. And then if there's a praise to repeat, thank you, Jesus, for praying for me. And thank you that you're still interceding on my behalf. Man. Church, we want to be a church that prays for each other, with each other, for big things, for awesome things, to see healing that we didn't think could happen, to see growth that we didn't think was possible, to see lives changed that we didn't think could because our God is able to do big and awesome things. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Pathway Podcast. If you did enjoy this episode, would you do us a favor and follow our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify? And please leave a review so we can know how we're doing. We would love to serve you in any way we can. And if you'd like more information about Pathway Community Church, you can visit our website, pathwaycommunity-elmhurst.org.
We hope to hear from you. We love you guys. See you next time.